You're listening to the Caroline Springs Anglican Podcast. Um, I'm loving it, I've got to tell you. I'm, I mean, if you weren't here, I'd be doing this anyway. I just, it's, I'm getting so much out of going through this, this book uh, at the pace that we're going. But uh, we're in week 11 of what, God willing, will be a 22-week series in this first half of the book. And um, I, did, I did feel this past week that... Uh, as I was sort of trying to get at the, be- the big idea of this chapter, I, I kind of thought, you know, the big idea is kind of the same every week, and, um, and it might be nice just to, to have a little bit of change in emphasis, you know. And so I was actually praying and just saying, you know, God, um, you know, maybe, maybe you could give us something a bit different this week, you know. I, I sense the people are growing a little bit tired of this, and... and uh, and I had this kind of voice come back. I mean, not audibly, but you know how God sometimes speaks. And it was a, it was a strong fatherly voice that just said, really, <laughs> really, you're getting a bit bored. A bit bored of the exodus. Hmm. My, my mighty acts in history that have been celebrated for 3,000 years are, are getting a little bit too monotonous for you, I see. And I was gently rebuked and reminded that uh, if you experience the Bible as boring, it's because there's something wrong with you, not the other way around. And I was reminded of a quote from one of my favorite books. I recommend you read this book. It's called Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton, and he says this, because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony, but perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never grown tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. I just want to encourage us tonight to, um, to make an, an effort of the will, and this is what it requires, an effort of the will to look with fresh eyes at the text before us, to see the wonders of God in his word. They are never failing. They are never ending if you look with expectation. And so I want us to do that as we look at, at chapter 8, and we're going to look at three plagues that God sends on Pharaoh and the people of Egypt, and we're going to pick it up at verse 25 of chapter 7. So let's go, let's, let's read a little and we'll chat. So seven days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. That's what we looked at last week, remember? God turned the water of the Nile to blood seven days later, and we're here seven days later. So it's all lining up for us, all right? He struck the Nile seven days ago. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go, so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs 
on the whole country. All right, this is the first plague we're going to see. And again, as we've discussed, the plagues that God sends on the Egyptians, each one of them is a, a, a demonstration of his power over the gods of Egypt. So we saw last week they viewed the Nile as a, as a goddess, really as the mother, their, the mother of their nation, the provider of everything good. And here we've got uh, God showing his sovereignty and his power over the, the goddess Hecate. So we've got a picture of her. She's a bit of a cutie. There she is. Face of a frog, body of a woman, and she's the goddess of fertility, one of the earliest goddesses that we know of, and uh, one of the most important in the Egyptian pantheon. You know, like most people in the ancient world, uh, apart from the Jews and a few other tribes, there, uh, most, most uh, communities worshipped many gods, a pantheon of gods. And so it was with the Egyptians, and here is Heket. And she's, uh, she's the god of fertility, or a goddess of fertility, and they saw her as being the provider of their crops, and also uh, it, later in, in, in the... Um, in this kind of timeline of Egypt's history, they saw her as being instrumental in delivering children and delivering them safely. So a lot about fertility. And, and it seems to me, I was thinking part this past week, we, we could easily dismiss this kind of thing as, you know, it's, it's kind of quaint. It's, it's what those, the, those, those crazy people from another time believed in. Um, what C.S. Lewis calls um, chronological snobbery. This is, we're really good at this. Right, Our culture, post-enlightenment, Western secularist, we believe we are the pinnacle. Like There has not been anyone smarter than us. Uh, we have the best education. We have the best science. Everyone else was a moron, right? Those Egyptians, to, to the degree that, and I've told you this before, that there are some serious scholars who believe that the, the, the incredible technology that Egypt did have to build pyramids and so on must have been delivered to them by aliens from outer space. Like, that's the only way we can conceive that they would be smart enough to do the things they did because we're chronologically snobbish. We believe that they must have been dumb because we're so smart. And it's just not true. In fact, where we might have moved beyond engraving stuff you know, and, and sacrificing to gods and goddesses, we still serve the same gods, right? We still serve the same gods. We still believe in the same gods, gods of fertility. And, um, and I'll, t- I'll tell you that for sure, in 3,000 years' time from now, when the AI robots who have destroyed the human race like are researching us and what we were doing now, they will, they will think these guys served a pantheon of gods and goddesses. It's just that for us, it's Wall Street and it's, you know, the stock exchange and it's whatever's happening on my phone, right? These are the gods and goddesses that we worship. We just don't give them frog faces anymore. Maybe they've got emoji faces. I don't know. But it's the truth. There are things that we serve with religious fervor that dictate the way that we live our lives. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that Uh, when we get to the second and third plague that we're looking at today. All right, so let's keep reading. We're going to read about the frogs. Verse 3 and following. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace and your bedroom and onto your bed, into the houses of your officials and on your people and into your ovens and kneading troughs. The frogs will come up on you and your people and your officials. Here's the truth. The frogs are going to be everywhere. 
Wherever there is space, there's going to be frogs. Right? He, palace, bedroom, bed, oven, trough. On you, on your people, on your officials. There's going to be frogs and they're going to be everywhere. Again, this is God demonstrating his sovereignty, his lordship over his creation. He's the creator. This is his creation. He does what he pleases with it. And it's interesting, I think, because in in the cases that we're going to look at today, whereas last week we looked at a, a staff turning into a snake and and, and, and a river turning into blood, very supernatural events outside of the ordinary course of events. Here we're going to see ordinary things that have just been turned up to, to full volume. Like frogs reproduce, and so do gnats, and so do flies, and sometimes they gather in plague proportions. But here's God, God is just going to say, you're going to have the worst of it that there ever has been. It's going to be clear that I am the Lord. I am Lord over creation, over heaven and over earth. Let's keep going. Verse 5 five to 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the streams and canals and ponds and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt. And the frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same thing by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. And so this plague has just come out of nothing, right? God, through the instrumentality of Aaron and Moses, has brought about this plague. And you can just imagine in your mind's eye, frogs teeming out of the rivers, just everywhere. Have you guys ever seen a... A plague before? Ever come across a, a plague? A couple of you guys? I think I remember, I'm pretty sure I remember driving through, maybe in outback New South Wales, driving through the countryside and coming across a plague of, uh, what are they called? Locusts. Um, and it was, it was quite, quite intimidating, actually. When you're in the midst of something like that and the, the sheer numbers are overwhelming, we had to pull over, we couldn't like get the wipers to you know, smear them off the screen fast enough. It's quite intimidating to, to actually to be faced with the truth that there is more of those things than there is of you. Like they outnumber you a billion to one and it's, you, you feel small as a result. I've, been, I've, I've seen frogs as well. The, the second year round when I was working in the US, I was the, um, I was the nature director and, um, and uh, at this camp and our nature lodge where we, we kind of just put our possibly illegally um, procured animals. Um, we put them there to show all the kids from the inner city who had never... Some of these kids had never walked on grass before. That's not an exaggeration. So they were just fascinated by frogs and snakes and turtles. And So one morning I was walking down to the nature lodge. I have to get there early, set things up. And there's grass everywhere running down to a river. And this one morning, I arrived, and the grass was moving. Except the grass wasn't moving. It was just frogs, baby frogs, like the size of your thumbnail, frogs everywhere, trillions of them. Um, and all the animals of the world were just eating them, right? And presumably, that's why there has to be trillions of them, so that five survive. Um, we had fun just feeding them to all of our animals all of the time. But they were everywhere. 
And they got into everything. They came into our lodge. We found them weeks after by the smell, just stuck under bins or whatever, just everywhere, frogs. And that's what's happening here, only to an infinitely greater degree. They are everywhere. And Pharaoh is so desperate that he, uh, he stoops to ask for help. All right, let's read about that. Verse 8. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people, that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs, except for those that remain in the Nile. Tomorrow, Pharaoh said him. Moses replied, it will be as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will leave you and your houses, your officials and your people. They will remain in the Nile. After Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had brought on Pharaoh, and the Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, and in the fields. They were piled into heaps, and the land reeked of them. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. This is the gospel to Pharaoh. This is the good news of the gospel to Pharaoh. The truth is that God, the sovereign Lord, is a righteous judge. And he's looked at Pharaoh and he's looked at Pharaoh's heart and he has condemned him rightly. He's judged him. But God is also, the the sovereign Lord is a gracious saviour. And so he's heard the intercession of Moses and he's relented. He's withdrawn his hand of judgment. This is the gospel to Pharaoh. God is a righteous judge and God is a gracious saviour. And if you're a Christian here tonight, you know that that's true. If you're a Christian here tonight, it's because that's true. God is a righteous judge. He looks at your heart, he looks at my heart, and he says, you are worthy of condemnation. You have a hard heart, stubborn heart. You worship yourself. And so you're rightly condemned. God is a righteous judge, and he's right in his judgments. That's literally what it means to be righteous. He is correct. He doesn't make any bad calls. He doesn't mistakenly condemn anyone. We are rightful recipients of his judgment and he's a gracious saviour. In the case of Pharaoh, Moses intercedes for him and God graciously hears Moses' intercession and expresses his grace, extends his grace towards Pharaoh. In our case, someone greater than Moses intercedes for us. The Lord Jesus himself makes intercession for us. 
It's on the basis of his death that we can be spared, and it's on the basis of, of his intercession that, that God's hand of judgment is relented, is withdrawn, and grace is served in its stead. And that is good news. That is the good news of the gospel to Pharaoh, and it's the good news of the gospel to you. And if you're a Christian, you delight in it. It's precious to you. The tragedy of our story, the tragedy of our story is verse 15. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. That's the tragedy of this story. Think about the, the, the heartache that could have been avoided if, if Pharaoh had have embraced God's grace and not rejected it. Think of the next six plagues that are yet to come. But rather than embracing and receiving and persevering in God's grace, Pharaoh hardens his heart as soon as he feels relief. And I've got to tell you, there, there, there are some beautiful moments to be had when you're the pastor of a church. I take it it's, it's, it's a great privilege to have this role. I love it. But there, there is also great heartache. And the greatest heartache I've experienced is to witness, witness someone receiving God's grace in the first case and then rejecting it once they've got what they want. Some of us experience life in, life in its darkness and in the darkness, we cry out to God because we know that we need someone greater than ourselves. We cry out to him or have someone cry out on our behalf, as in Pharaoh's case. And then we receive some relief. And having received it, we reject the giver of the relief. The tragedy. And that's why the refrain over and over again in the book of Hebrews is, to God's people, do not harden your hearts. Do not forsake the grace that has been extended to you. Persevere in faith, in thanksgiving. The tragedy of this story. And we're going to see it over and over and over again. Another couple of times in our passage tonight and over and over again. Pharaoh sees the grace of God and then hardens his heart towards God and so receives the penalty for his refusal. Let me just say this as well. I, I think the difference between those people I've seen who have, who have received some of God's grace and then hardened their hearts towards him, between that, that kind of believer and the believer who receives it, delights in it, gives thanks for it, and perseveres in faith for the rest of their days, the difference is their view of God, ultimately. That one group of people see God as a kind of paramedic. It's a, he's a paramedic God, and he's, he, he will come when I'm in the depths of despair, I can hit a triple O prayer, and, and God will come and save me. And then once they're done and, and they've fixed me up a little bit, he, he takes off again and has other stuff to do, and I just go about my business. There's that paramedic view. And by the way, I'm married to a paramedic. I love paramedics. I'm not dissing paramedics. Paramedics are great. Paramedics make great wives. They don't make great gods. That's not what God is like. 
It's the difference between seeing God as a paramedic and seeing God as a father. That's who God is. He's a father. He's a constant companion. He's merciful, gracious, eager, eager to deliver us. And not just deliver us, but to nourish us and nurture us. That's why we say our mission as a church is to be a community of people helping people make all of life all about Jesus. Because all of life is all about Jesus and God as our Father is in every aspect of our lives. If we don't see that and we don't take a hold of that, then we will be like Pharaoh. We will harden our hearts towards God's grace and towards his very present presence. So Pharaoh hardens his heart. And so God sends another couple of plagues. We're in a rhythm now, all right? I'm just going to read through the plague of gnats and the plague of flies, and um, we'll take them together, all right? So verse 16 and following. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground, and throughout the land of Egypt the dust will become gnats. Just think about that. They did this, and when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came on people and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. Since the gnats were on people and animals everywhere, the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the river and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials, on your people, and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies, even the ground will be covered with them. But on that day I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between the people and your people. This sign will occur tomorrow. And the Lord did this. Dense swarms of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace and into the houses of his officials throughout Egypt. The land was ruined by flies. So in these three plagues, right, we're seeing God in his sovereignty over all of creation. You've got frogs coming out of water. You've got gnats coming out of the ground, flies coming out of the air, right? Water, land, air, wherever there is space, God is Lord of that space. And he commands it to do as he pleases. He is the creator and Lord of his creation, And I think what's going on here with the gnats and with the flies is that God wants these people to know that apart from true worship of him, there will be no rest. Just think about it for a second, right? In Egypt 3,000 years ago, there's no air guard. Just a terrible place to live. Anywhere where there's no air guard is a terrible place. When I get bitten by a mosquito, I just blow up into... Like, I I need... Air guard. There's no air guard. There's no fly screens. There's no, there's no windows, let alone fly screens. There's no zappy thing that you put on your, your back porch. Am I the only bogan who knows what that is? No? You got it right. You're with me. None of that stuff. 
So when there's a plague of gnats and there's a plague of flies, there is no rest. Wherever you go, they'll be there. And I think what God is saying to them is, apart from true worship, there is no rest. Apart from service to him, to the Lord, to Yahweh, to the great I Am, there is no rest. And so you remember, the first confrontation between Yahweh and Pharaoh was was Yahweh saying, let my people go so that they can rest. And Pharaoh's response was, they are going to work without rest. And now God is saying, well, now you are going to live without rest. This is his judgment on them. Without true worship, there can be no real rest. I think this has actually has great application for us today. Here's what we need to know. The very same thing. Without true worship, there can be no rest. There can be no satisfaction. And the truth, just, just think about it, the barefaced reality of us, as we pursue the gods of fertility in our own cultural context, the truth is, that while we pursue these gods with such religious fervor, we will never find rest. The Rolling Stones were prophets. You can't get no satisfaction. No matter where you look, no matter how much you have, if you are the biggest rock band that's ever been and, and have everything at your fingertips, it doesn't matter. If you were here when we worked through the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll know that King Solomon knew this well. Everything at his fingertips, no satisfaction, no rest, chasing after the wind. That's the situation we find ourselves in. And I guarantee you that as long as you pursue the false gods and goddesses of fertility and materialism, you will find no rest. This is God's grace, by the way, right? This plague that he's given us, of flies and gnats in the form of materialism, this plague that means we can't get any rest apart from true worship of him, it's his grace. It's his grace to us. Just last night, I was watching an uh, interview with Matt Damon. He's one of my favorite actors. And it was so interesting. He was being asked, a, a recent interview, but he's being asked about when he won... The, the Oscar for um, Goodwill Hunting. He was 27 years old at the time. And um, the room went really quiet when he started talking because it's not what people were expecting him to say. They were sort of saying, This is amazing. I can't believe, you know, this must have been just a, an amazing thing for you to win this Oscar at such a young age. And he said, The truth is, I went to my hotel room that night. My girlfriend fell asleep. I was looking at the Oscar, and here's what he said I felt so blessed that I was spared spending all of my life chasing after something that couldn't satisfy me. Because he saw this thing, this thing, this thing, the pinnacle, right? The thing that you should spend your whole career working towards. Keep working, keep screwing people over just so you can get yourself one of these statues. And he got it as a young man and he could see instantly. Like not, even, not even a week later, on the night, he could see this isn't enough. This isn't going to satisfy me. This won't give me rest. And he said that. He said, I felt blessed to have come to that conclusion at such a young age. 
What am I saying to us tonight? I think I'm saying, in response to God's gracious plagues, the plagues he sends you that keep you restless until you find true satisfaction in him, in response to those things, let us not be like Pharaoh. Let us not hear the truth. I believe you've heard the truth tonight of the gospel. Let's not hear the truth and then receive it and then turn our our hearts away from God and, and his grace and his provision and his mercy. Let us not invite more and more plagues from him trying to turn our hearts around, but rather let us run to Jesus. You know what Jesus said to people like you and me, to people who are in our cultural mess he said come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and i will give you rest he says my yoke is easy my burden is light this life that you're trying to live chasing after all of these gods and all of these things it's not it's not easy it's not light it's crushing but come to me Jesus says and tonight I guess tonight is just an invitation for us to do that so here's what's going to happen I'm going to pray and pray that God would minister to us now even as I pray would soften our hearts rather than allowing them to become hard that we receive the ministry of the Spirit in drawing us closer to Jesus, making all of life about him. And then we're going to stand and we're going to sing together. But if you need to pray some more about this or just talk more about it, then during the, the three songs we're going to sing, um, a couple of us will be over here. We'd love to chat. We can pray and, and talk and, and do some ministry together. All right? But let me just pray for us as we finish up. Father, We we acknowledge you as our good father. That's the kind of God you are. You're close, intimate, personal. And so we praise you and thank you that that is your nature. That's your character. For those of us here tonight who have been treating you like a paramedic, I pray that they would be brought close to you and they would see perhaps for the first time that you are a good father. And Lord, for the... I guess the majority of us here tonight who are exhausted after chasing material things, false gods of fertility and prosperity. and Lord, for those of us who are taking your good gifts and making them gods, I pray that you would give us rest. We thank you for the plagues you send us that remind us that we can't get rest in those things. We can't be satisfied by those things. We ask that we would run to you, that we would take that yoke upon us, that light and easy burden. We thank you that the work has already been done by the Lord Jesus on the cross. We praise you and thank you for that and we receive it, the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. We receive it. By faith, in Jesus' name, amen.